With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following episode of Series Regular contains spoilers for The Handmaid's Tale Season 3 all the way through the penultimate episode. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Series Regular, the Hollywood Reporter's all-in podcast on genre television. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler. I'm very excited today because normally I am so alone on these podcasts. Today I have great company as I am talking about the third season of The Handmaid's Tale, which wraps on August 14th, and we are getting ahead of the game here with a little bit of a catch-up on what's been going on in season three with the best guest that you could possibly get for something like this, the great Bruce Miller, creator of the show, executive producer. Bruce, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank, well, you're really having me here as we are in your <laughs> office right now that we have converted into the series regular studio for a hot minute. Bruce, we're, we're looking down the, uh, the, the home stretch here on The Handmaid's Tale Season 3. How are you feeling about everything where we are right now? It goes by so fast. It really um, does. You know, you spend so much time thinking about the season and then writing and then shooting, and it all is so glacial. The The pace of all that is so slow, even though you're working as quickly as you possibly can. It takes months to make this. And then all of a sudden, they're one at a time on television. I can't even imagine what it's like for people who, you know, you work for a year and a half, and then they dump all... 15 episodes, right. and then it's over in 24 hours right. when everybody has consumed them. Right. Um, this at least stretches that out a little, but still. You have that to... shotgun burst premiere where you've got three episodes to, to kick things off, but you're doing things weekly other than that. But yeah, you're talking about if it's a if it's the Netflix binge model. To do that with The Handmaid's Tale would be intense. Yeah, I actually, I, I mean, uh, the show isn't built that way. Yeah. Because of the material, it's just not built that way. But we knew from the very beginning that it wasn't going to be a binge. It wasn't going to drop all at once even from before the first season. So, you know, we built it that way. And, you know, in some ways it takes a week to digest and think about. But we also know that, you know, the 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 show shows in a lot of other countries, you know, as a binge. And also, you know, the rest of its life will be as something you can watch all at once. So it has to exist in both both realms. But really, you know, I, I like the fact that it drops every week so that you can give people, a, you know, you don't have to answer every question because people have a little time to think about it. Yeah. So as we're talking, uh, season three is almost finished. Not quite. The penultimate has been unleashed upon the wild. So the deck is set for the season three finale. Uh, now that we're, we're so far into this season, can you talk me through a little bit about what some of your goals were for season three when you convened the writer's room at the start of the season, what kinds of stories you wanted to tell about June Osborne this year? Well, I think the way you framed it is exactly right. It's all about June Osborne. You know, what do you want? What's the next step in her progression? You know, because she started out the show as, you know, one of us, you know, the real woman 
plucked from her life. And uh, she's smart and she's been learning lessons and she's been, you know, taking some punishment. And you want to see what she's where she's going to lead you for season three. And in this case, I mean, at the end of season two, she really wanted to she had a mission. She wanted to, you know, get her daughter back, but also she wanted to fight from the inside, which is a nice idea, but it's very hard to kind of practically figure out what that means. And so the whole season has been not just her figuring out what it means to be a rebel, which is a nice word, but it also means, you know, fighting and killing people and sending other people to their death and and making some very morally difficult choices. She's learned more and more, not only about what it means to be a warrior and how to do it and how to lead other people, but also what she can, what's her space to navigate in Gilead. And the thing that I like about June is over time, she can seize an opportunity in a way that she was not able to before, a really dangerous opportunity. So I think what we get in the, in the, as we move to the end of the season is to see the flower of all the seeds that we planted early in the season, which is, you know, from the very beginning, she tries to be a rebel and fails and gets people killed and gets herself in trouble and all this stuff. So it's just, it's that lesson coming to bear. And what can she do now that she's learned all of those things and pulled together all of those pieces? What is she going to be able to do when push comes to shove? And, yeah. and what is she going to do that would kind of surprise and horrify her at at herself? Well, I think it's interesting because this is no, no surprise to you. This could be a very difficult show to watch. You're dealing with very difficult subject matter here in The Handmaid tale which is you know tragically real material that you're that you're dealing with here oftentimes but I think I think often you know you're you're so rooted in June's perspective for so much of the handmaid's tale that you're really in the tank with June and you're really with her for everything that she's going through and this season you're having her make some really painful uncomfortable choices that make you as the audience member feel like June, oh my God, what are you doing? I mean, it's it's cathartic to to see her murder Commander Winslow and to see Chris Maloney go out the way that he goes uh, just an episode earlier than this. But it's it's so intense. And this next episode uh, that came out this past week, her you know basically allowing Eleanor to to proceed with her her plan to to kill herself. These are these are very difficult decisions that she's making that really you know sink in your gut. And become very hard to watch from the perspective of now it's June who's who's making a lot of these ugly choices. How how much of that was discussed in the writers' room of this idea of we're going to have a really hard time reconciling with some of these things that June feels she has to do in order to to push her agenda, her anti-Gilead agenda forward. No, absolutely. I think you want to be. Not only do you want to kind of feel sick to your stomach because someone you know and think of as as morally upright is is making these compromises. But I think she does, too. June is someone, like like all of us, you make decisions before you know what you're getting into. I mean, it's kind of the nature of decisions. Oftentimes you decide. So here June has made this decision about what she's going to do in Gilead, that she's going to stay behind by choice and she's going to try to make a difference. And as she's confronted by these things, for me, it's about how do they chip away at the June she's going to be 
if and when this is all over. Right. You know, what kind of human is she going to be in the world? What what kind of partner is she going to be to her her husband and her friends? And and also, what kind of mother is she going to be? And so, what you're looking at, I, I think, is the combination of two big things. First is, and they're all per usual from the book, um, Gilead is inside you, is something that they say in the book. And it, you really do feel that with all the characters that, you know, you can get out of Gilead, but you can't get Gilead out of you. And here, we're trying to show what that means. You know, how does Gilead change you? I mean, it's changed everybody. I think, you know, it, it's made everybody do things they never thought they'd do. The other thing, the arc for June really this season has been about ruthlessness, about whether she can develop the ruthlessness to achieve some kind of change through violence. And I don't know the way uh, Elizabeth played it all season. It was chancy for a while whether she'd kind of lose her marbles first before she did. You know, it it hasn't been an easy journey, but I think it's the journey that we all would have been through. I mean, I think that for me, when I find myself saying, well, I would never do that, you know, about June, I have to really question that in myself because— you know, you're all full of bravado when you're sitting in your office in Sherman Oaks. And then, you know, she's, I think she does spectacularly well, given the information she has, given the very little space to maneuver she has, given the fact that she's trying to keep herself alive. I think the criticism that she gets from me and from other people about, well, I would do this is right. is bullshit. Right. It's, it's just not what you would do. It's, you know, w- what most people would do would either break a rule early and end up like Janine or dead or sit and stare out the window so that you and breathe in and out until they let you go. I mean, you don't do anything to, to raise a ruckus. And so I, I'm very proud of June and very proud of Lizzie in, in kind of the brave performance that challenges people's assumptions about what they would do in that same situation. Was there a, a plot point or a decision that she makes as a character along the way here in season three that was especially contentious in the writer's room where there was just like great spirited debate among the writers of she would never do that there's just no way and then upon further discussions like oh no she would do that in fact it's probably the only thing that she can do in this situation well certainly that was the big debate about whether to leave Gilead at the end of season two at the end of season two that was huge I remember when we spoke around that time and it was obviously very controversial when that episode aired i remember very well what you said was if you thought that the the critical reaction was contentious you should have been in the writer's room exactly and i think that that was one of the best examples of something where where we had a long conversation and didn't really get anywhere you know there were people locked in on both sides who thought this would never happen or this would always happen but for for june i think the moral decisions are the biggest ones so i think the killing of commander winslow especially after she's seen his house and she's seen his children what that means for her and also the kind of the way it happens that she does it almost against her own will i mean it's just a reaction and then after it's over she sits there Right. And kind of waits for the consequences, thinking, well, I know Gilead. I'm not getting away with this. And so I think that that was a big, the big discussion about how would June react in that situation? Not, not, not what she, whether she would kill Winslow or not, but before that was the big discussion about what would she do? What would her natural reaction would, would be to being attacked, being raped again uh, after 
she's transformed and become sort of a new June. Would she, would she react violently? Would she react intellectually and kind of try to make as few waves as possible, which is what she's been doing the rest of the episode? That was a big discussion. And, you know, I came out from the beginning just feeling like I thought that June was just you know, finished being touched against her will yeah. and and would would even if she didn't admit that when someone did touch her, she would have a, a a gut response. Yeah. How about this most recent episode and the the development that happens with Commander Lawrence's wife with Eleanor, who was such a fantastic character all season long. I'm sure it 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 pains you to to write that character out. Can you talk about developing that storyline and June's role in it and where that's setting us up for moving forward? Well, yeah, I mean, I, Julie Dredson, who plays Commander Lawrence's wife, Eleanor, was spectacular from the from the beginning. And the discussion about her, what she would do and committing suicide, you know, w- was initially based a lot in how not to make it seem like it was just a result of her her mental disease, which she has kind of unmedicated bipolar. Right. And you didn't want it, it because, in fact, she's at the brink of getting that treated in the way that she was used to. So so the suicide doesn't really have anything to do. It's more kind of the, the situation of her life and not wanting to continue in that situation, even, you know, you know the idea that, oh, I'm going to go to Canada and, and the one person I'm going to be left with is this guy who I really can't stand. Um, so there was a despair aspect of that. And also, I think that she didn't trust herself to keep the secret anymore. But having June let it happen the way that she happened and have it just felt like one of those very it's very interesting dilemmas that you can put on a character when you have Elizabeth Moss and when when it can just be her and you're seeing her go through all of these complicated thoughts and you're not entirely with her but you're not entirely against her so I think the discussion of, of that was trying to as we often do put the character of June in situations that would seem so emotionally complex that it would be hard to get it all because we have Elizabeth. Yeah. And because we can use her to to communicate things that I, you know, wouldn't think would be very possible to communicate. One of the things that's different about the dynamics in season three, the first two seasons, June is in the Waterford house. She's offered. She is offered no more in any sense in season three. She's in Commander Lawrence's house. That gives you a, a great character played brilliantly by Bradley Whitford, Emmy nominated for the role. Congratulations on Emmy nominations from season two here for, for 2019. What was your reaction to that when those came in? I, I was stunned. I wasn't even, I mean, I, I, I knew that we were eligible for these last few episodes, but, you know, we had certainly gotten well lauded and, and, and appreciated that, you know, last Emmy Awards and this one, the field is so spectacularly powerful that you feel like, well, we had our moment. And But I, I was thrilled. I'm thrilled for all the people who who get recognized. Um, Adam Taylor, who's our composer, has never been recognized before. And he does, I mean, it's his first job. He does yeah. incredible work. But, you know, I, you know I, I am always surprised when we get nominated for any award and I'm always just kind of thrilled and in awe. It really is a nice part of it that I didn't. Can't be surprised at the nomination for Holly. I mean, that was a mesmerizing episode. It, it, it was a spe- it was very it was, good episode. It was a very good episode. <laughs> I'm very proud of it. I'm very glad it was recognized. Yeah, I mean, and for Lizzie, too. I mean, you know, the million things you don't see about how she puts a performance like that together. And once again, you know, it kind of ties into your other question. We're always looking for ways to challenge 
Elizabeth that, you know, when you have, you know, what I think is she's putting on a generational performance, you know, just an unbelievable, you want to make sure that you keep pushing because you're not going to get an act, an actress like this on a show like this at a time like this very often. So you want to really do everything you can with her. And Holly was a good example of that. And it's nice that that's appreciated. And, you know, Bradley, who was really kind of came in very strongly and Cherry Jones, who is just embodies June's mother in such a great, hilarious, realistic way. You know, all of it is, is it's a surprise, but I really do feel like, you know, they, we all work so hard on the show. You know, it's nice when it's recognized. I know every show they work very, very hard, so it's not, you know, it's, yeah, not sure. it's not a matter of the effort, but the, especially people in the production department, in the production design department and the wardrobe department and, and things like that, where we're, all of those things work together to make the show excellent, but if you start noticing those as individuals, you start losing track of the show. So we're always trying to integrate those things, the beautiful cinematography, but it's really nice that the Academy kind of separates those things out and lets them kind of get their moment to shine. I'm very proud of them all. So Bradley Whitford, he he was introduced last season as Commander Lawrence and really steps into the center of the season as a real core dynamic between his character and June. Uh, and it's, you know, it's it, we're, we're a lot, we're, we're still in Gilead, but we're a long way away from the Waterford house. It's a very different kind of prison. What did these new dynamics afford you in the writer's room creatively as you were arcing out season three? Well, what we, I think what we were trying to do is, is A, you know, take this part of the handmade experience, which we have only seen once, her arriving in a new place and getting her footing, when she showed up at the Waterford at the very beginning of the show. And in the book, it's such a huge part of what a handmaid is. I mean, they get assigned, they keep getting reassigned, so they keep having to figure out what their space is in this house. So I think, A, I wanted to show that June was practiced at that and knew what that was and knew how to stay out of sight long enough till she figured things out. And so every time she broke that rule and tried to do something rebellious or tried to push or tried to seduce the commander, all of those things were rebuffed. All her normal bag of tricks didn't really work. And that's what I was looking for is, is looking for someone who would challenge June in a very different way. Because with Fred, she quickly found a lane where she could you know, manipulate him and relax him into into doing things that she wanted. She could exert some power over him through sexuality. Here, that doesn't work at all. So I, what I was hoping to do is challenge another aspect of her personality, which is her not only her her intellectualism, not only her intelligence, because he's certainly much more, or he seems he seems to value a very different kind of intelligence, but more her ability to kind of read another person, her empathy. And I think the interesting thing is it's what she keeps trying to do with, with Lawrence is to read what he needs. And the thing that he ends up appealing to him about her is the fact that she pays so much attention to what other people need. Is her empathy is something he's is completely alien to him. He has very little. He's fascinated. Em- by yeah, it. yeah. And so he he's got this weird, you know, kind of underdeveloped sense of empathy. She has an overdeveloped one, and he's fascinated by that. And in a way where that kind of ends up being the thing that that keeps him from being bored with her is the fact that she has. It's not necessarily a big heart, but it's a, you know, she really feels things in a big way, anger and happiness and sadness and sympathy. And she really does want to, she she has trouble not acting on those feelings, which is why I adore her because she, but it's also 
the thing that makes Lawrence treat her a little bit like she's a butterfly under a piece of glass and like, right. oh, isn't this fascinating? Now let's kill it and duck right. out of the park. Right. <laughs> so Commander Lawrence's wife is deceased. The final scene of the penultimate episode is at the funeral. Uh, it's a very ominous final shot of, of the two of them together by Eleanor's grave. The season finale will, will be on August 14th. Set the stage for us, Bruce. What are we what are we getting into in as spoiler free a way as you can possibly describe? This the stakes are high as there's this plan in place to liberate these children from Gilead. What are we getting into for the final episode of the season? I think the final episode of the season is about June's determination that no matter what is going she she has become a person that I don't know that she was at the beginning, that she is not only not going to give up, but she's going to keep trying to keep her presence of mind and keep thinking through the whole process. And so that's what you really see is who has she become versus who she was at the beginning of the season in terms of a rebel. At the beginning of the season, we saw Martha came to the house and died, and she tried on the fly to cover things up and do things, and she did a pretty good job. Here you get to see just the level of complexity and the level of planning and the level of execution that have gone through all of this, but also when you realize it's not just born out of I want to get these children out, but I want to hurt Gilead. Those two things together make it very a very interesting, you know, which is more important? Which is more important, getting the children out and safe or making sure Gilead hurts as much as possible? So I think for June, you've got, you know, the noble and the ignoble, you know, playing against They're each at other. War. Yeah, at war. But I also just think what I think she's finally doing is, you know, it's finally the time you—, you run your first marathon and you say, it doesn't matter how many little runs I've taken and I've got to run my first marathon and I've got to keep all this stuff in mind or I'm not going to finish. And I think the question for the episode, the question for the season is, is am I as ruthless as the people who are imprisoning me and do I want to be? What does it mean to be ruthless? Yeah. All right, well, there's a lot to dig into with the finale that I wish that we could dig into right now. Bruce, would you be so kind as to stick around for maybe an additional podcast that we can release after the finale so we can do just a, a real deep dive into everything that happens in the season three finale? I'd be happy to. Okay, so that's what we're going to do for the next episode of Series Regular. We will be back August 15th with a conversation again with Bruce Miller talking about the full extent of the season three finale of The Handmaid's Tale on Hulu August 14th. Subscribe to Series Regular if you have not already on your podcast app of choice. Check out everything we've got on The Handmaid's Tale on THR.com slash Handmaid's Tale and we will be back very soon with more Handmaid's Tale podcasting. Take care everybody. Bye. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once actually. Do I have to say? Yes you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.